0: Well, good morning. It is a beautiful day out today, isn't it? I saw that it was going to get up to about uh, in the mid 50s today. So I, I told uh, Charlotte that I would take her fishing. And uh, I was getting the poles ready this morning, and she wanted to test hers out. So, like any good father, I said, Well, we're going to cast the fishing rods around the house a little bit. So I put I grabbed a, a soft plastic worm and I I put it on her hook so that the hook went all the way through it and it was it was covered. So she wouldn't stick anything with it when she cast it. Um, I didn't realize she was going to grab hold of that worm and her sister was going to grab the fishing pole and yank on it. Uh, it happened to go through the worm and into Charlotte's hand. Uh, that's why she was crying this morning, by the way. So... uh but all all is well. We're we're all here and mostly in one piece. So uh but uh, it's a good day and uh we're gonna try and get out on the water today, so so pray for us. Pray for me. Um <laughs> uh, in our, our Wednesday evening class, or uh we have been we just got done studying uh the life of David, King David. And uh We came across a man by the name of Nathan, who played a very important role in David's life. And I thought it was a good idea to go back and take a closer look at the role uh, that Nathan played. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. The reason I think it's so important is that we all need a Nathan in our lives, but not everybody can be a Nathan to us. It's important to figure out how we know the real Nathans in our lives, and then those are just complaining. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and when you found it, if you're physically able, we would ask for you to stand for the reading of God's word. Bear with me, I forgot my glasses again. Second Samuel, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding, exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished. Which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveller came into the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of the wayfaring or to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this trying, or he did this thing, uh, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, "You are the man." Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Skip down to verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are just so grateful to be in your house. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to be here and and open your word to study it and to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you will touch our hearts today. Lord, fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Speak to us today as your servants are listening. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, men and women alike, Oftentimes you'll see when they, they get a little bit of power, they change, right? You see a difference, you see a difference in them. Uh, it could be somebody that you work with, work alongside of for years, and then they get promoted, and then they start acting a little bit different, right? They start looking down on people. They start treating people in a way that they hadn't treated them before. Um, I've seen that as a teacher. Anytime I, I, I'm teaching a class and I give somebody in a class a job, a role, a responsibility, they, t- they may take that very seriously and start bossing the other children around because their, ha- their job has to be done a certain way. Power can change people. I want us to look back and remember the way David was before he became king. He was humble. He was working as a shepherd for his father out in the field tending to his father's uh, flocks. And even after he had gained all of that recognition and fame from slaying Goliath, for years he would still go back and tend to his father's sheep. He was humble that way. He was also loyal. He would go and he'd play the harp for Saul and try and soothe Saul's uh, spirit after God had removed his hand from Saul. He'd play the harp and on one occasion Saul actually picked up a spear And threw it at him. Didn't do anything about it. In fact, he came back to play for Saul again. And Saul once again picked up a spear and tried to kill him by throwing it at him. Saul chased David through the wilderness, trying to kill him. And even when David had the opportunity to kill Saul in the cave, he refused. Instead, he cut a little piece of Saul's garment to show him later on. Saying, I could have done something. But he didn't. Even when Saul, Saul used to send him up against great armies. With very few men. Just hoping that David would die in battle. David didn't complain. He went. Because he was loyal to Saul. And he also trusted in God. He trusted God would protect him. Remember when he fell in love with one of Saul's daughters? What did Saul say? He said, your family doesn't have the money to pay to pay me, right? But if you go and, and bring me the foreskins of a hundred Philistines, then I will give you my daughter. Didn't, his family didn't have a dowry. So that's what he had to do. You ever hear the song, um, I Would Do Anything for Love, but I Won't Do That? David didn't hear that song. Because he went out and did it. Not only did he get a hundred Four skins from the Philistines. He brought 200 back to David. You remember when David's son, uh, Absalom, overthrew David, ran him out of town? He dethroned him. He's wandering around. He's sad. He's at his lowest point. And what happens? He runs across a man from Saul's family who's still angry at David for taking over Saul's throne. And the man starts cursing him and throwing rocks at him. And we learned this past Wednesday that David vowed not to harm a hair on that man's head. David was gentle. Now, when Solomon took over, he put that man on house arrest. And three years later, the guy walked away from his property and, and David had him killed. So he got what he had coming to him. But David did not harm a hair on that man's head. But now, now that he's king, we see a change. Right? And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just show uh, people's good size. It doesn't show all the great things that they did. It shows who they were as a human being. It shows their good and it shows the bad. We have to see the bad in people if we're going to be able to relate to them. Right. If we're going to be able to see ourselves and learn from people in the Bible, we have to be able to see their faults as well as their accomplishments. Now David should have been out of battle. It was, it was, at this time, the kings would accompany their men to battle. But for some reason, David decided he wasn't going to go. It was fighting season. They actually had a fighting season season time to go to war they wouldn't go to the war when it was cold and wet seasons because it made it too difficult to travel so when it was warmer and less dry and they were able to travel and they were able to get out in battle uh, that's when they would go so there was actually a season of fighting now this was that season and david decided i'm not going to go i'm going to stay home but david should have been with his men he should have been with his men so he's unable to sleep and he's walking around uh, the, 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 the rooftop of the palace, and in fact, the, the word that the Bible uses um, actually means to pace. So we get the idea that, that he's uncomfortable, he can't sleep, he's pacing back and forth. And what happens? He looks down on a rooftop and sees Bathsheba bathing. And instead of just turning right away, he looks a little too long, and He starts having these feelings, has Bathsheba brought up to him. And because he's king, she cannot say no. And the story gets worse because she ends up pregnant. She ends up pregnant. And um, this causes a lot of problems for David. I think oftentimes we look at it as though, well, David's going to be embarrassed now. Uriah's going to find out and then everybody's going to know. And it's going to be an embarrassing time. But he had a lot more to worry about than just embarrassment. Because under the Mosaic Law, if Uriah found out that this baby would belong to David, under Mosaic Law, he had the right to have Bathsheba, the baby, and David stoned to death. So not only was his reputation in danger, but now his own life was also be in danger so what does David do he says for Uriah to come home he said Uriah you, you've been battling hard you need a little R&R back at the house hoping that he'll spend some time some quality time with Bathsheba but what does he do he said I can't do that he said my brothers and sisters are out there fighting on the front line I can't relax knowing that they're doing that so David goes to plan B he said well let me get Uriah drunk and then he won't know any better gets him drunk, wakes up the next morning, and was, where's Uriah He's sleeping at the doorstep. He couldn't do it. He's not that kind of man. So David sends Uriah back to battle. And in his hand is his death sentence. He sends him with a note to give to the general to put Uriah on the front line and then pull all your men back. Let him be killed in battle. So David got some power, and now he's not really sounding like the David that we, we, we grew to admire early on in, in his life, right? Power can change people. After Uriah is killed and Bathsheba mourns, David moves uh, Bathsheba into the palace and claims her as his wife. It seems to be the problem solved. Nobody's saying anything. Her husband died. Uh, They don't know that the baby is David's. Seems as though everything is good. Here's the problem with sin. We may think we sin in pride. We may think we do things that nobody knows about. But God sees. God sees every single thing we do. He knows every thought we have. So no matter how quiet you think you've kept things, God knows. And that's a problem for God. God needs to handle David. Because God has put, God's got too much invested in David at this point. That's the lineage of Jesus. He can't just allow David to to live this way. He needs to have David repent from his sins. So how is he going to do that? Verse 1 tells us, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. God sent Nathan. I've said this before. You have two types of people in your life. You have the people that God sends to you, and you have the jokers you let in. Those are the two kinds. Nathan is a man that God has sent to David. We all need someone in our lives that is a Nathan, somebody that's going to correct us, somebody that's going to put us back on path uh, towards righteousness, somebody that's going to lead us back to following Jesus, right? It's called rebuking. And we don't like it. Nobody likes being rebuked. Um, Nobody likes being told when they're wrong. Uh, Even when we know we're wrong, we don't want to hear it from other people. Because especially believers, we feel that 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 conviction inside already, and then to have somebody come up and tell you you're still doing something wrong, it hurts. But it's good for us. We don't like it, but we need a Nathan in our lives. Rebuking is something that's supposed to be um, that we're supposed to be doing for each other. We're supposed to do it um, when a body of members. It, When we see somebody in the body that's straying, we're to confront them. We're to let them know what they're doing wrong. We're to address it with the brother and sister. Proverbs 9. Proverbs chapter 9 says, Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. When you rebuke somebody that is, that is a follower of Christ, a brother and sister, when you rebuke them as we're supposed to, the only thing that can happen is that they should grow wiser. They should learn from it. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all long suffering and teaching. So rebuke people. Let them know when they're, when they're erring. Let them know when they're straying from God, but doing it long suffering. Be patient with them. Do it lovingly, is what God tells us to do. You cannot love someone as much as God loves them and just watch them stray outside of the will of God. Now, even though I say as a body, we are to be rebuking each other. That doesn't mean I, I want anybody running out of here thinking they're just gonna start Nathaning people. Right? Because if you're not being sent by God to do it, God didn't give you the gift of pointing out other people's uh, issues. Okay? I also don't want anybody thinking that just anybody telling you that you did something wrong is a Nathan in your life. We have to be able to identify the Nathans in our lives. Who are the people that God is sending to us to correct our behavior? So let's take a look at the signs of godly rebuke. Number one, they have to be somebody you know. Because if I don't know you, I don't care what you think God told you to tell me. If I can't trust you, I don't care what you think God has laid on your heart for me. I need to be able to know you, and I need to be able to trust you. David knew and trusted Nathan. Remember, David's the king. Not just anybody gets to have company with the king. Not just anybody can go up and start talking to the king. But Nathan did. And the king's not just going to listen to anybody. You have to be somebody awfully special to the king if he's going to take your word and listen to it. So how does David know Nathan and why does he trust him? In chapter 7, we find David and he's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about what he's going to leave behind. So what he says is he wants to build a temple. He said, how, how am I living in this beautiful palace where the, the the, uh, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent? God's dwelling in a tent, and here I am in this palace. He said, I want to build a temple for God. He tells us to Nathan in chapter 7. And Nathan says, that's a good idea. I'm with you. I got your back. I'm going to follow you. We need to build this temple. So David knows that Nathan is behind him. Nathan goes home, and God says to Nathan... You need to go back to David and tell him not to build that temple. That's not his responsibility. We're going to leave that for Solomon. We're going to leave that for his son. So Nathan goes back and tells David these things. He said, leave it to Solomon. So David trusts Nathan because Nathan showed humility in his listening to God. Nathan told David to build it. So he's showing David's support which we said was one of the reasons that, that David trusted him. But when Nathan heard from God, he humbled himself and said, you know, I was wrong. I told you to go ahead and do it because I, I, I want to be there for you. I want to support you. But I was wrong. God told me I'm wrong. I'm humbling myself before you and before God. And I'm just telling you, don't build it. So now David knows that he humbles himself before the same God that David followed. The problem with most people who think they're a Nathan is they don't ever want to admit when they're wrong. Right? They think they know everything. They think they can, they can rebuke you. They, they think they can change what you're doing. But they don't want to look at the mirror. Right? They don't want to change anything about themselves. They, nothing they ever do is wrong. Nathan is proving himself to be a true Nathan. To be a man of God. To be somebody that David can trust. So David has a relationship With Nathan because Nathan showed his support in wanting to build the temple and he trusts Nathan because he knows Nathan humbles himself and worships God the second thing we need to look at is what is the goal of the rebuking why are you being rebuked what is the the outcome the goal of rebuking of correcting a brother or sister is to create self conviction so what do I mean by self conviction Sometimes when people come to us and they say, you're doing something wrong, we want to change our behavior because of them, right? Because, oh, well, I I didn't know. I, I, I don't want you looking at me that way. That's not why we change our behavior. We should have conviction from God. That's what needs to change the behavior. And that's what true godly rebuking does, is it convicts us. We feel that conviction from God. Nathan didn't come to David to try and scare him into repentance. That wasn't his goal. He came to David in private. Right? We don't hear anybody else in that room. He's standing before David and he's telling David this story. And he's telling him that you need to change your ways. God knows what you do. You need to turn and repent. He didn't do it to publicly embarrass him. right? To humiliate him in front of a bunch of people. That's not what godly rebuking is. Godly rebuking is done lovingly. That would not have been lovingly. He didn't stand chastising David for what he had done. Nathan does what? Tells him a story. Tells him a parable. We, we, we just went over. He said, the, the gist of the story is there was this rich man that had a whole bunch of flocks. Had a whole bunch of sheep. And then there was a poor man that just had one little ewe lamb that he bought. And he raised. And, and, he, and he let it eat from his plate. and he And he, and he gave it drink from his cup and he raised it and loved it as though it was one of his own daughters and then some stranger comes into town and the rich man wants to feed him a meal and instead of looking at all of his flocks he takes that poor man's one little ewe lamb butchers it and serves it to this man and it's a picture of David because we look at David and all of his wives and all of his concubines instead he took Uriah's you, Lamb. The one that he loved. The one that he protected. The one that he was uh, doing things for. David took her. So, David the, the, the parable makes David mad. And David says, well that man, surely as I live, surely as God lives, that man is going to die. We're going to have him killed. And that man is going to pay back four times what he took. Fourfold. And Nathan says, I used to read this as Nathan saying, you're the man. You're the one. But I don't think that's the way Nathan said it. I think Nathan said, you are that man. You're the one. You're the one that God's speaking of in this parable. Because Nathan allowed David to feel the godly conviction, David confesses in verse Thirteen, He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Godly rebuke, like we see here with Nathan, is loving. It's a loving rebuking. It's not in your face. It's not threatening. It's not judging. It's not disrespectful. It shows that you care that the per- about that person, and you care about their walk with God. So... To know that it is true godly rebuking, it should be somebody that you know and that you trust. And it, it, it should, godly rebuking should, should, should draw conviction inside. And it should be done in a loving way. The third way that you know if the rebuking that you're receiving is from a true Nathan. Is a real Nathan will always remind you that you're forgiven. It's easy to point out people's flaws. It's easy to show somebody where they messed up. It's easy to tell somebody they're not living right. Even lost people can do that all day long. Right? How many times have you seen somebody at the grocery store point out something that you're doing wrong? Oh, I can't believe they got 14 items and a 12-item rhyme. Right? People just nitpick each other all the time. But it's not godly. It's not from God. But look at what Nathan does. Look at what he tells David in verse 13, the very end of 13. He says, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's the difference. That's the difference in somebody that's just complaining and pointing out everybody's faults. And they don't want to look at their own mirror, they want to, don't want to admit any of their own faults. And, they, and Nathan, that's the difference. A real Nathan will remind you that you're forgiven. A real Nathan will remind you that God sent his son to die on the cross. And shed his blood to pay for our sin debt. And that if you repent and turn to him and welcome him into your heart, you won't die either. We all need Nathans in our lives. But we need to make sure that we are following the right Nathan. We're listening to the right Nathan. Not all rebuking comes from God. So I think if we look at these three things and we, we apply them to the people that are, are rebuking us, we'll be able to tr- truly see and hear from God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for, for you. We're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for David and Nathan in, in the... the um, what we can learn from them. Um, Lord, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to know who to listen to. Lord, you put people in front of us, you put people in our lives that you use to guide us and direct us uh, back to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll give us the wisdom and, and, and the sight to uh, recognize these, these these saints that you put in our lives. Lord, we ask that you'll be with us today and, and go with us as we um, depart. Uh, Lord, keep us safe. Allow us to feel your love and allow us to share that love with others. And so, in Jesus' name we pray.